Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It's wonderful for me to be able to share this message with you today. But before I start, I just want to give a special shout out to all the moms out there today. Moms, we know that far too often we take you for granted and just forget to say thank you for all the things you do, all the sacrifices you make for us on a daily basis. So to all you moms, we love you, we value you, and we really are so thankful for everything you do for us. Happy Mother's Day, moms. And so on to today's message. If you listened to our service last week, you will know that we are in the middle of a three-part series that we have called Unafraid Because God is Able, and that we have been looking at the words of the Apostle Paul at the end of chapter 3 of his letter to the Ephesians. There it says this, Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Last week we heard some of the background to these two verses and about how Paul's letter to the Ephesians was written by Paul while he was under house arrest in Rome much like our lockdown of today. We also focused in on the first three words, now unto him, and discovered just how much those three words help us understand the purpose and the meaning of this incredible verse. Today we are going to look at the next bit of that verse, the part in which the Apostle Paul refers to God as the God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We are going to explore what those words mean, what they tell us about the nature of God, and how we respond to those words in these strange and uncertain times. One of the things that I so enjoyed about preparing this sermon is that it gave me a chance to once again read some of the stories, both from the Old and the New Testament, of the times where God just showed up and performed what seemed the impossible. Just think about it. God promising to the 90-year-old Abram and Sarah that they would have a child. In fact, God even says to them, is anything too hard for the Lord? Or what about the Israelites fleeing from Egypt, being chased by a bloodthirsty Egyptian army, the army of a country that had just seen all their firstborn sons perish? In front of them, the Red Sea, behind them, the Egyptian army on a murderous rampage. No way out, right? This cannot possibly end well, and yet we know that it does. And there are so many other examples. Daniel in the lion's den, Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus turning water into wine, walking on water, healing the sick, chasing out demons, and raising 
the dead. In each of these accounts, in each of these stories, God reveals himself as a God that is able to do things that on the face of it seemed impossible, but not for God. And they lead us to the conclusion, therefore, that God indeed is omnipotent, a word derived from the Latin term omnipotence, which literally means all-powerful. Our God is a God that has the power to do anything and everything according to his will. And yet as a concept, the omnipotence, the all-powerful nature of God is something that for us humans is often very difficult to accept. In fact, there are even scholars that have pretty much made it their life's mission to challenge it. There is something out there called the omnipotence paradox. You can go and Google it. It essentially challenges God's omnipotence by arguing that if the power of God has no limits, then he should also be able to achieve any outcome, even if the outcome is completely illogical, like the creation of a square circle, for example. Or the so-called paradox of the stone, which tests the logic behind the omnipotence, the power of God, by asking this, could God create a stone so heavy that even he could not lift it? You see the paradox? I'll spare you the details except to say that a lot of people seem to have spent a lot of time trying to disprove the omnipotence, the power of God, based on arguments such as these. But what about the rest of us? I suspect that also for us, the omnipotence, the power of God can at times be difficult to truly accept or trust. Yes, in theory, we can acknowledge that God is all-powerful, especially when the problems are out there, far away from me, not coming too close. But when my own health or job or relationship is under threat, well, then somehow it feels a whole lot harder. To some extent, I think it's because we feel like we don't always see or notice the power of God at work. We consider the occurrence or not of a certain event, maybe even something we've been praying about, within the limited time frame in which we would like or expect something to happen. Or if we haven't seen something happen in the way we expected or prayed for it to happen, then we assume that our prayers have not been answered or that therefore God has not been working his power. We might even think that those old stories in the Bible surely can't have happened that way. After all, if despite all the advancement of today's engineering and modern medicine, something for us humans is still impossible today, then surely those things could not have happened that way more than 2,000 years ago. But what if we look at this from another perspective? If God is eternal and exists independent of time, if God is at work in the lives of more than 7.5 billion people, and not just you and me, if God has a purpose of saving not just you and me as individuals, 
but instead of saving the multitudes, is it not then conceivable and maybe even probable that God would be working his power in a time and in a manner that for us as individuals is sometimes difficult to notice or fully appreciate? In fact, God quite often works behind the scenes in a way that is less visible for us. There's a great example of this in John chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3, when, when God blocks the Jordan River way upstream, impossible for the Israelites to see, but nevertheless achieving his goal and their desire of allowing them to cross the previously flooded Jordan River into the promised land. And so just because something has not happened in the way we had hoped or asked or even expected, does not mean that God hasn't acted in accordance with his purpose and often in a way that is so much more than what we had anticipated. Just take the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11 as an example. We know the story well about how Lazarus has a deadly illness and how Jesus is victorious over death itself by raising Lazarus from the dead. But in the context of what we are discussing today, I also want us to remember the following. Firstly, Lazarus and Jesus are really close friends. Verse 3 tells us that his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. And verse 5 tells us this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They are very, very close. And yet, despite being such close friends, Jesus initially responds in a very unusual manner. In verse 6 it tells us, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more years, two more days. Just think about that for a moment. Isn't it odd? Jesus had just heard that one of his closest friends is really ill, and instead of rushing over to help him, he decides to wait around for two more days. It's like if you would phone 911 or 112 here in the Netherlands, and you would be told that you needed to wait more than two days before the ambulance would come round. You'd be completely freaking out. You'd be completely outraged. And that's exactly how Martha and Mary reacted when Jesus did finally arrive. Lord, they said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Jesus, what took you so long? You're too late. Lazarus has already died. So why did Jesus wait two more days? Well, look at what Jesus says in John 11 verse 4 when he hears about the illness of Lazarus. He says this, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. And when Jesus finally gets to Bethany, we read that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days and that many Jews had come from Jerusalem to Bethany to comfort Mary and Martha in the loss of their brother. And then, after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, verse 45 tells us this, Therefore, 
many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Are you starting to see the bigger picture? Are you starting to understand why Jesus waited two more days before traveling to help his sick friend? Or like me, had you read over that in the past? Think of it this way. Would those Jews have had the time to travel from Jerusalem to Bethany to comfort Mary and Martha if Lazarus hadn't died and if Jesus hadn't waited those two extra days? Would they otherwise have personally witnessed the miraculous healing of Lazarus and therefore have come to have faith in Jesus? Would they themselves have had the personal conviction to go out and tell others what they had seen with their own two eyes so that others too might believe? And would Mary and Martha themselves otherwise have grown so enormously in their faith from believing that Jesus could heal Lazarus to realizing that he could do so much more and even raise him from the dead? I think not. You see, I think this story illustrates so well for us how the ability of God the bigger picture, the time scale and the perspective from which he operates is often so much bigger, so much more complex, so much more intertwined and layered than we could ever imagine or understand. Which brings me to the phrase immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Just as in the story of Lazarus, I think these words remind us that when it comes to the power of God and, in the, and the manner in which he uses that power, there is often so much more going on that we just don't see or understand. How often have we not read the story of Lazarus and simply missed the fact that Jesus decided to wait two more days before going to Lazarus. It's right there in front of us, and yet we just don't see it. We read the story and we also view life from a narrow, personal perspective. We identify with Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and read the story as if we were one of them. We identify with their pain and suffering and derive personal hope, as we should do, because we see God ultimately relieving them from that pain and suffering. God is victorious over death itself. But as we've just seen, there is also so much more going on, and it's often much more difficult, if not impossible, for us to step back and see. Jesus comes not just to save the one, the Lazarus in our story. Instead, he comes to save the many. That is his much bigger picture. And so by using the phrase immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, the Apostle Paul is reminding us that the power of God, the purposes for which he uses that power, is about so much more than our narrow-minded, personalized, 
it's all about me approach to life. It's not our fault. It's just the way we wired. But I think those words also hold for us another meaning. A meaning that for me relates to the mystery of God. And it's this. If your resistance to accepting Christ into your life is based on the idea that it just doesn't make sense or it's just not logical, or if you're already a Christian and your reluctance to share your faith with someone is based on a fear that you won't have all the answers, then I want to say this to you. I think you're looking at this the wrong way. If God is telling us through his own word, the Bible, that his power is beyond anything we can ask or even imagine, then he's literally telling us that even our wildest dreams can't fully get us there. We're not meant to fully understand him. So we may as well stop insisting on having to make sense of it all because we can't and we never fully will. And I can tell you that accepting that is completely liberating. My friends, to some extent, I believe that's also what frees people up to do God's work, even when from a worldly perspective, they may seem less than qualified to do so. It's not about having all the answers. It's simply about leaning forward and saying, okay, God, if you want to work your power through me in that way, then I will walk through that door. Some will view me as underqualified and I won't have all the answers, but so be it. It's not about me, it's about you. It's not about what I am able to do or say, it's, what, uh, it's about what you can do or say through me. You see, friends, the decision to follow Christ, the decision to allow Christ to work through you, is actually not a decision you just make with your mind. It's a decision you make with your heart. You experience the warmth, the comfort, and the unexplainable magic of what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, the need, the urge to explain and understand it all, somehow becomes less important. In a way, it's a bit like falling in love. And let's be honest, we often do seemingly illogical things in the name of love. I'm not saying you switch off your mind or that you stop thinking. But something changes in year first. Your emotions take over and your life and outlook are changed from that point onwards. That is the mystery of our Heavenly Father and of being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the mystery that we are called to share with those around us. So how does knowing all of this make me respond to the corona crisis? Well, as I reflect on these very unusual times and put them in the context of a God that works in mysterious ways and is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine, then I want to say this to you. Firstly, 
as many of us have experienced at different times in our lives, and maybe now as well, being in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is unfortunately not a guarantee that bad things or difficulties won't happen to us in the here and now. In fact, the Bible has many examples that show us that this is not the case. Think of John the Baptist, Peter and Paul, and Lazarus, as we've just read. And yet, we often can't help ourselves, can we? We respond to our current circumstances with fear and uncertainty, and we ask ourselves, why doesn't God just get rid of the coronavirus? Can't he just save us from this? Why is it taking so long? Well, while it's impossible for me to fully understand or properly explain the mystery of how God works, I wonder if, in a sense, we too are not experiencing a Lazarus moment of our own. Many of the parallels are plain to see. The sickness, the pain and suffering, people of faith, Mary and Martha then, us now calling to Jesus for help, and people of faith anxiously waiting for him to answer their prayers. But there's more. And in the context of how we respond to this crisis, I think they are, they are even more important for us to realize. Firstly, just as God did not cause the illness of Lazarus, God also did not cause the coronavirus. Despite what we may read or what others might say, the coronavirus is not some punishment sent down by God to teach us a lesson. God doesn't make bad things happen to us. If we believe anything else, then surely we are ignoring the very purpose behind Jesus having died for us on the cross. Secondly, we are not alone in this. God shares our pain. He feels our pain and helps us carry our burdens. Again, let's look at the story of Lazarus. John 11 verse 33 tells us this. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was deeply troubled. And a little bit further on, it says this, Jesus wept. God is not immune to our pain. He's not some distant, faraway king sitting on his throne doing his thing. No, he is right here with us, feeling and sharing our pain and helping us bear it. And then lastly, this. Just as God used the illness of Lazarus to ultimately achieve his bigger purpose, so too I believe he will use even this situation for good. A very good friend of mine sent me a little clip earlier this week about a father reading his kids a bedtime story at some point in the future. The father tells his kids about the time of the virus and about how they now understood why hindsight 2020 was called hindsight 2020. He tells them about how families rediscovered the importance of family time, having meals together instead of spending their time together on electronic devices. 
about how people missed their friends and relatives and rediscovered how important a role they played in their lives and that they should never take them for granted. He tells his kids about how important people could finally give God's creation a break and about how people could make choices designed to save our planet and not, not let it all just be about money, money, money. And finally, he tells them about how people saw the needs of others and could discover the joy of giving and of being generous. Indeed, as a church, we now have an opportunity in a really practical way to be a ray of light and hope for people in our communities that are really suffering. And friends, as individuals, we have time to pray, time to reflect, time to read our Bible, and time to make a new commitment to our faith. The list can go on and on, and I'm left to wonder, would any of this be happening if it were not for our current circumstance? I somehow doubt it. Sometimes things need to be broken before they can begin to heal. So while I am in no way trying to downplay the enormous tragedy that has hit so many families across the world, of course not. I nevertheless believe that there is real reason for hope. Real hope. And so how do I respond to this coronavirus? Well, I choose to respond not in fear, but in faith. I choose to respond by leaving it in his hands and by reminding myself that our God is able. He is all-powerful and can do whatever he sets out to do, but in his time and in the manner that he sees fit and to his bigger purpose, not just mine. Our faith tells us not to fear because he is in control and he will use even this situation for good even when his ways of doing so, for us, might be a mystery. That, my friends, is how I think we as Christians are called to respond to this crisis. We are called not to be afraid, but rather to have hope and courage also for those around us, because our God indeed is able. Amen.